Hi, everyone. It's Emily Murphy with Grow What You Love. And in this episode, I'm talking with Kristen Morrison of All Species, a fashion-forward, homespun, ecological clothing company. Now, Kristen creates these amazing, well-crafted textiles utilizing plant-based dyes from plants that she grows or finds in the wild. And as the story goes, her passion for her work sprang from a chance encounter with a cluster of cacti just around the corner from her home. And there she finds these cochineal, not a plant, but a bug feeding on the cactus that she then uses to create the first of many dyes, this one a vibrant red. This is where she discovered the perfect medium for bridging her studies in fashion design and plant medicine. Listen in because this is a dream come true conversation for me. I have real garden envy. Her garden is amazing. Kristen's outdoor dye lab set in the corner of her garden is truly wonderful. It's also where we make a dye using Mexican marigold, walking through the process step by step so you don't want to miss it. My process here in the dye studio is, you know, just piecing things together and being really free form about the way that I work. There's a form to it, but within that, I allow myself a lot of flexibility. Yeah, it seems like that has to be part of the process for you because when you're creating something from plants, you're creating these dyes from plants, you have to be prepared to maybe get something different every time because of where <laughs> the plant's growing or... <laughs> Absolutely. And funny you should say that. I'm standing here in my studio this morning working on a project for an installation that is due to happen on Saturday. And I'm using avocado pit. So throughout the season, any plant material can give a slightly different color. If it's in summer, it might be a little bit more subdued. If it's in winter, it might be a little bit richer. Mm -hmm. So this particular avocado pit that I'm working with is giving a very muted, beautiful, buttery yellow color. <laughs> However, the gals are expecting a pink. Oh no. <laughs> so that's like, this is one of like, the beautiful and chaotic and unpredictable things about working with plants as dye is that you never know what you're going to get. There are control factors okay. and there are ways to sort of alter colors, which I'm going to end up doing. Okay. But that just comes with the journey and like experience and knowing how to do that. You have an idea based on experience, how much color you can get or mm -hmm. what color you're going to get. But yes, there is always some level of unpredictability working with plant dye. Right. And who would have guessed that you could create a dye from avocado pit? Someone it, figured it out. Someone figured it out. Is <laughs> it, would you say that you could create a dye from almost any plant? Or some plants are better than others? I would not say that actually. There are chemicals and chemical compounds within certain plants that give color. So alizarine, I think is how you pronounce it, is found in matter root and a lot of the red giving plant colors. Okay, so that's one of those chemical yes, constituents so of these particular plants. Exactly, and the plant needs to have these in order to give lasting color on either fabric, fabric or, or paper. Yeah. Some other material. Yeah. So it's not so different than say, 
plants with certain fragrances and fragrance profiles. So plants are creating these chemicals for whatever it might be they are encountering in their environment or a reaction to their environment. And, and that's my experience at least, mm -hmm. where plants are managing variables such as predators and summer dry conditions. And those experiences or stressors cause them to react and create chemicals in certain ways. And that must be the same thing with color. Well, funny you should use this analogy because the plant that we're going to work with today is one of these defensive plants. So what I'm holding in my hand is a Mexican marigold, a perennial marigold that I've just harvested from my dye garden. It grows year round and it flowers a couple times a year. And when you pull it, you can smell I, it. I am standing about two <laughs> feet away from you and I can smell it and it's so fragrant. And it's not fragrant in in the pungent way. It almost has a like a mix of a pineapple-y scent and maybe a little bit of a sagey smell in the mm -hmm. background. Mm-hmm. And it's really lovely and there are not many blooms on that plant so we're no. mostly working with the foliage with the leaves and today the we are yes you can see that a lot of the yellow little flowers have closed up or lost their leaves but with this particular plant you can extract color from the entire plant which is amazing because it's green yeah because it's green and yeah. so what color do you think we're going to get? From what color do you think we're going to get? Well, that's what I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually perplexed because it's green and yeah. I would assume because it's a marigold that we might get an orange color or mm -hmm. a yellow color mm -hmm. or some hue in between, some shade or variation yeah. of that. Mm -hmm. But we're looking at mostly leaves. Mostly leaves. Yep. And just a few little dying buds. Yeah, spent bloom. So so you're on to something and okay. I think we should maybe wait until the end Okay. to see what color we okay, get. Okay, so we're going to make a, a plant dye out of this Mexican marigold. We sure are. And what's the process for that? How are we going to start? So I started by harvesting fresh marigold stems, leaves, and flowers. And what I'm going to do now is just sort of tear it up. You can cut it up sort of macerate it a little bit mm -hmm. into a dry pot. Okay. We're going to cover it with water and then we're going to simmer it very gently for about 20 minutes to a half hour. Simmer on low heat with a little bit of water. Okay. Yep. Different plant material required different extraction methods. Using fresh flowers and soft material requires a gentle extraction mm -hmm. with hot water. If you're working with roots or barks or seeds, those require a little bit more of an aggressive mm -hmm. Extraction. It takes more to tease out the exactly the constituents. Yeah, makes sense, right? It does make sense. Yeah. So I'm gonna pull up this pot. Kind of a cold brew versus a warm brew. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> so when working with harder materials, I often will soak them for up to a week in water. Sometimes I even extract them like a tincture with grain alcohol. Okay, to pull, um, to pull them if there's woodier material. Yeah. Which makes sense in, in the sense that, okay, thinking from a culinary perspective, if you're cooking beans, for instance, for a soup and you're cooking them from dried beans, you soak them first. Exactly. To soften them mm -hmm. and prepare them for the next step. Yes. Or if I'm getting ready to plant out 
some seeds, I can pre-germinate them, exactly. soak them in water, mm -hmm. and then plant them out, and it's preparing them for that next step, so imbibing them with some type of moisture or whatever the material is. Medium. Yes, it's very similar. It's really sort of sprouting the plant, if you will, to, to extract all of its potential and potential color. And this smells so good too. Isn't it lovely? I know. It's so, so unique, right? It's so this unique. So Kristen just took this bunch of Mexican marigold that was like a bouquet in her hand and she tore it up and put it in this pot, which is looks like a 12 quart pot maybe. Yes. It's a soup pot. It is. It's a soup pot from the kitchen and it's now about a quarter full and this is telling. We're, we're, it's telling. We're getting. We're getting a premonition, shall we say? What's the right word for that? Uh, I guess we're getting a clue as to what a color. Clue. Thank you. This dye will be because what I see is some beautiful yellow and orange specks that have already stained my hands. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <laughs> so we're working with green. What plants. we might achieve. <laughs> And so what's the next step? So the next step is taking my stainless steel pot, which is actually really important. The type of pot that you use can affect the color. Stainless steel is neutral, so it's not going to alter the color. If I was using, say, an aluminum pot, it might brighten the color. If I was using a copper pot, it might take the color into more of like a green blue. That's fascinating. So it's like an alchemy or the Very chemistry much so. of the container interacts with the plant material. It sure does. Wow. That's exactly it. It's, it's like alchemy. we're brewing up alcohol. What, yeah. <laughs> uh, what type of wine barrel, what kind of wood are you going to make your wine barrel of? You know, I've never used wood and I think that would be really interesting to sort of like yeah. brew, dye it will in be. an oak barrel. Would it be French oak or California? I know, oak? who knows? Probably California, given my, my work here. <laughs> but yeah, so the next step after tearing up the plant material, this is soft, so we're able to tear it up and get some of the color out a little bit. Now I'm going to fill the pot with ideally some warm to hot water, and I'm just going to cover the plant material because I like to make my dyes really saturated at first. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So if you look in the pot, like if you look straight down into it, I can already see a bit of color starting to extract from the plant. Fuse into the water. So yep. Kristen just filled this pot just enough to cover the herbs, to cover the Mexican marigold, and she used a plain old hose. We're outside. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be precise. It yep. seems like it's proportions and experimentation. It sure is. Yeah, it's all experimentation. I use tap like. water for my house, which is totally fine, but things to note about water, since we are dealing with chemistry, with alchemy, okay. different types of water, hard water, soft water, can also affect the outcome of a dye. And when you compared side by side a more alkaline water versus an acidic water, you'll see the difference. For today's purpose, we're just giving a basic right. introduction but it's good to note these things. So now I'm just going to start a fire underneath the dye vat, and we're gonna let it go for like 20 minutes. Awesome. Stand back, guys. <laughs> this is the most dangerous part, don't worry. Looks good to me. Looks good to me. <laughs> So 
Everyone knows that in order to grow stuff, you've got to water it, right? That's why I'm always on the lookout for smart new products that can help make growing easier. Because if I didn't have that kind of help, my garden would most certainly die. Now, Gilmore has this really neat rectangular sprinkler that lets you infinitely customize the area you want to water, which means no more having to move it from one odd-shaped corner of your yard to another. And this sprinkler has this ingenious design where it has these slide tabs that allows you to adjust it from side to side or back to front. And both sides can also be set independently. And there's this really great on-off switch, so you can move it without getting wet, which is definitely my problem. I'm always getting wet. Or having to run back to the spigot to turn it off first. Makes sense, right? Try one at gilmore.com and save 20% with the promo code GROW20 or GROW20. I have some serious garden envy <laughs> right now. We're standing here in this corner in your dye studio, mm -hmm, right? your mm -hmm. dye lab. Yep. And it's part of your backyard farm. So it's like we're basically in a mini farm. Indeed. <laughs> and it's lovely. I mean, there's birds, beautiful flowers, banana plants, dill sprouting up here and there, forage. <laughs> It's wild, huh? It's wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so my husband and I both happen to be plant people, and this is what happens when you marry a farmer <laughs> and a permaculturist. You learn something. So, yes, we have created a food forest. Well, we are creating. It's still growing. Believe it or not, this is only four and a half years old. And it's amazing because it's... So developed. Yeah. So all of this in four and a half years. Oh, yep. And it probably didn't happen all at once. It's probably been this process that's grown and transformed over time. Yep, absolutely. What are some of the things you started with when you first broke ground in your backyard? Yeah, good question. We started with definitely a few fruit trees. So you see we've got this peach over here, which takes water from our gray water system from there's a hose running from our washing machine. Mm -hmm. We started with this nectarine, a couple of plums, probably the olives, a couple types of mulberries, a few fig trees, a few avocados, a grapefruit, a lemon. <laughs> so many trees. <laughs> Where else do I start? A banana. Now we have a few bananas. And our garden beds where we have been growing our greens, culinary herbs, and veggies. Right, and you have four raised beds and you have these perennial borders. Yes. That have marigolds and sertiums in them as well. It looks like you have some rose geranium. You sure do. And I see some sorrel. There's so many yes. fabulous plants and so many of them are in bloom, including some artichokes. Yes. And I thought I saw a passion flower on the fence. Yes, that's and true. And what is that tree on the other side of the fence next to the olive tree? That is, is that a couple of mulberries. That's the mulberries. Yes, so we have a white mulberry and we have a Pakistani and we have another variety in the front yard that I can't remember. And they have done really, really well for us here in coastal Southern California. Traditionally, our weather here is like pretty Mediterranean, mm -hmm. so our garden reflects that. Mm -hmm. Olives, almonds, stone fruits, mulberries, figs, all of these things have been, been great at surviving here over the past four years through a drought, although we received a lot of rain. 
this, this last year. Winter. Yeah. So you're seeing like the end cycle of that where everything just kind of exploded and now we're going into summer and it's starting to go to seed and dry up a little bit. One of the things you explained was this perfect marriage. So you had this dream of <laughs> what your life would be and one of the things you had said to me was you were able to meld fashion with plants and the discovery of plant dyes and making your own dyes from plants was this opportunity to be in nature yes. and also create a new relationship with nature. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, I can talk a lot about that. It's been such an incredible journey for me because growing up I learned to sew, spent a lot of time in the garden and learned to paint and play music with my grandma. So she was a very formative figure in my life. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time with her and we connected on all of these things. And I feel like that's sort of a good description of who I am. All of those things are my passions and other than her, I didn't really have any examples of like where I wanted to go. My parents, you know, were very hardworking single parents and just had to, to grind to make ends meet and keep food on the table and keep us doing our activities and sports. And so growing up, I always had this love for clothing and fashion and, and constructing and creating, but I didn't know how to get there. So I went to undergrad, spent some time in Spain, got an undergrad degree in Spanish and communications, and was still searching. Moved to LA and started doing wardrobe design and styling and came to a crossroads when I had been discovering herbal medicine, also plant-related from my childhood, and still just really yearning for this creative outlet and decided I would either go back to school for Chinese herbal medicine or I'd go back to art school. Which are so incredibly different in some ways. Yes, yes. On paper, they yeah. seem so completely Very different, different. Yeah. yeah. That is the interesting part of my story, I feel, is like I've taken these parts of me which are quite juxtaposed on paper, as you're saying, and have found a way to find the sweet spot. You know, when you find that surfing on your board, you're a surfer, I'm a surfer. Mm -hmm. You try different places and then you find the sweet spot and you're like, yes, this is exactly where I'm supposed to pop up and supposed to stand on the board to ride this wave. Which is different every time you ride a wave or at different breaks. Yes. Because some waves are steeper than others. And so when yes. you're out in the ocean, you have to read the ocean. Mm -hmm. So we're di diverging a little bit, but yeah. anyone who's done some surfing who, or who can imagine what surfing is like, waves have different steepnesses, different speeds, and the positioning on your board depends upon the steepness and the speed of the wave. Yep. With some, you want to be more forward, with some you want to be more back. Yes. And it also depends on how quickly you pop up and where you are. How quickly you paddle. How quickly you paddle <laughs> or don't paddle. How strong you are. So, yeah, it's always evolving, always changing the ocean as is life. So Kristen, tell me a little bit about your journey. Oh boy, absolutely. Yes, and I think it's, it is a very interesting story because most folks wouldn't look at fashion and healing with plants as things that could live together. And I had to arrive there. It took me a while to understand that that could be the case. So 
like I mentioned earlier, I went back and studied fashion design and, you know, did some wardrobe styling and costuming for films and music videos and briefly worked in the industry and was really saddened and disillusioned when I started on that journey because what I thought fashion was for me or what it was for me didn't exist in what I was experiencing. I found it to be quite shallow and lacking soul. And I basically left and started in a totally different industry because of that. And I remember just feeling so disappointed and thinking to myself like, gosh, how can this be the case that I love design, I love constructing garments, I love art, I love creating so much, but this isn't resonating with me. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up working in the natural foods industry for quite some time, you know, still doing creative projects on the side. And on this journey, I ended up meeting my husband, Evan, who is the founder and executive director of a nonprofit called the Ecology Center. And he had just moved back from Costa Rica where he was designing farms and managing farms. And we met at a natural food show, reggae show, party. <laughs> he was so just, it was a good divergence. The divergence. It was. Sometimes our paths are not linear. They take us in these wonky directions. Absolutely. It might seem confusing. But what I'm hearing is there's a rhyme and a reason to it. Absolutely. And it was to meet my husband. I was working for a coconut water company, one of the first, and he had just come back from a place that I knew, Costa Rica, where there's lots of coconut water. So we met and pretty much immediately connected over that and our love for yerba mate. Guayaquil is one of our favorite <laughs> companies, surfing and mm -hmm. just our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And he was starting the Ecology Center at that time. And I was working in this industry and in, in this job where I was just so lost and like a bit depressed, quite frankly, because mm -hmm. I was, my soul was being sucked a little bit. Mm -hmm. And he invited me to come down and teach a tie-dye workshop at the Ecology Center event. And I told this to a friend when I was living in East LA in Echo Park, like, 10, 12 years ago, and she said, oh my gosh, do you know that you have cochineal growing right around the corner from your house on a cactus? And I said, what is cochineal? What is cochineal? And she said, oh, let me show you, my dear. And so <laughs> we walked around the block to a stand of cactus, and we scraped off the scale insect that lives on the cactus pad, and it revealed this gorgeous blood red dye. And we threw that in a dye vat and produced a beautiful red dye color. And it blew my mind. Right, so it's a little, it's basically a little beetle. It's a little beetle. And it sounds really inhumane, but this has been happening for thousands and thousands of years. Cochineal is in fact one of the oldest known and most permanent of red dyes in the natural dye world mm. and it's very safe it's still used as food coloring and lipstick cosmetics interesting so yeah. your foray and beginning in plant dyes really started with this beetle that was living on a plant it really was yeah and it occurred to me also that this beetle was leeching on to this cactus and sucking the life from it and so I viewed it as I was doing the cactus a favor by 
taking the life-sucking scale okay, insect so, so from... So the, the, beetle, <laughs> the beetle is a is an herbivore. It's one of those bad it bugs is. that eats our plants. Yeah, yeah. We, we call it a bad bug, but it's really part of the whole ecology of it our... Sure yeah, it sure we'll is. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yes, we will. So that started me on the path and journey into natural dyes. I just sort of like dove in head first as I was working this other job that like wasn't feeding my soul. This is what I would do on the weekends and the evenings. Shortly thereafter, I moved down to San Clemente. Evan and I found a house together and our garage became my studio or my she shed. And I would just spend hours in there. I would go out into the natural world around our house and harvest all sorts of oxalis, which is sourgrass, and eucalyptus, and wild fennel, and throw them into a dye vat and see what color I could get. And I'm self-taught and mm. an avid learner, and I just dove in so deeply that it became a thing that I did. Right. And like, people, yeah, and people started knowing me for, for being this plant dye person. You know that lady? Yeah. You know that lady around the corner <laughs> totally. that walks around and picks plants and then she puts them into pots and makes colors? Yeah, you yeah. You know her? That witch. Kristen. And so I started teaching other people and then teaching workshops and then dyeing for other designers and just really learning, downloading all of this information and sharing it because it was blowing my mind, it was blowing other people's minds. And fast forward to 12 years later, natural dye is making a major comeback. It was huge like in the 60s when mm -hmm. tie-dyeing was huge and it was really a dyeing art. And that was one of my, what one of my mentors said that also compelled me to keep going and teaching mm -hmm. people. She said, I want as many people to know about this knowledge and art as I can teach. As I can teach. And I said mm -hmm. to myself, I want that too. Mm -hmm. And, and so I perpetuated. See, yeah, now you see books on growing your own dye garden. And, so many, so and many. creating plant dyes at home and how they can be used. And yes. It's such a fabulous antithesis, or is that the right word? Polar opposite of your early experience with fashion, where yes. fashion being one of the biggest polluters, modern fashion. Yes. Can we talk a little bit about that, about this journey of creating plant dyes and walking down this road of sustainability and where that has led you, not just sustainability, but something more? Absolutely. So what I do is inherently bound to nature. And I've always been a nature girl. Always need to be outside. And if I'm in the city, I always need to escape to nature eventually. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a way for me to connect with nature be in it and to always remember that I'm part of the natural world and not separate from it. Mm -hmm. And that's really become part of my artist statement is mm -hmm. sharing that with the people, friends, family, community that I teach and that I work with mm -hmm. and come full circle currently to my project and clothing label, All Species. Today, my journey has taken me into an even deeper understanding of what that means. Mm -hmm. So you may have heard of the word biomimicry. I believe that nature, nature's design is perfect and we should all 
follow nature's lead. So biomimicry is a word that means mimicking nature and following what's already there for us. I feel like nature is always saying, here, here, I have that answer, I have that answer, but right. no one's paying attention. But do you think it's true too? This is something that I think about on a regular basis that even in, in just growing a garden, that talking about nature, it's somewhat human nature to try to out-nature nature. Absolutely. And I talk about this in my talks too, like when I talk about companion planting and and growing a garden to accept a little bit of chaos because our yes. job is to create a garden that mimics nature enough that you're creating an ecosystem and you're yes. embracing this chaotic world of nature and what it has to <laughs> offer. And when you invite in all these different plants and you invite in all of the bugs, the good ones and the bad ones, I'm using air quotes, yes. that you're inviting in this web of life. That's one of the aspects that I try to illuminate always in my work is the plant itself. Look at the color and look at this plant that gave us this color and look at where it resides in nature in this natural system that we're all a part of. So I started more on the micro with the plant and now I've sort of learned through learning more about permaculture, which teaches about natural systems and creating systems that are beneficial to the planet. Mm -hmm. That's what my work has become. So it's, I'm focusing more on like the vision, like the big picture of the mm -hmm. system that we've created in fashion that is failing us big time. And you had mentioned something about this, referring to a book, Cradle to Cradle, that yeah. instead of fashion right now and so many other industries are extract, use, throw away. Mm -hmm. It's disposable. And in Cradle to Cradle, it's full circle. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that, how that works? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's a really new concept to a lot of people to think that what we do can actually be beneficial to help grow positivity on the planet. And I'm talking across the board, not only in the garden, but in life energetically. So Cradle to Cradle is, one of the quotes from that book by William McDonough is really the inspiration for all species. I pulled all species from a quote that says, how do we love all of the children of all the species for all time? And now being a mom, I understand and like resonate with that so much more because we're leaving this planet to our children and to their children and to their children's children. And not only our species, our human species, but to all of the species that support us in this huge system that we call Spaceship Earth which Buckminster Fuller coined that phrase, we're all connected. So if I'm over here being a fashion designer, depleting the earth and pumping out waste and toxins into the water supply through my production in China, I'm actually taking away from this person over here in California because eventually what's happening in China is going to affect this person and this species, and we're seeing this happen now. Mm -hmm. So I find a good way to describe regenerative design 
versus sustainable design this way. So Cradle to Cradle says that not only should we design better, but we need to design in a way where there's no waste because there's no waste in nature. We need to design in a way where the end product actually benefits our planet, regenerates our planet. Gives back to the planet. Gives back to the planet and to every species on it. That is, in a nutshell, what all species is about. That's what my brand is about. I look at my brand, each and every garment is a model of what I hope for. So tell, me, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the garments that you are creating. Yes. I've seen some of them on Instagram. Cool. What is your drive for the fashion that you're creating now? You have your colors, uh -huh. and then you have your styles. What is your goal <laughs> for some of the designs that you're creating? Mm -hmm. So my line really started out under another name with a foraging apron that I designed about seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. One of the defining moments in my journey was when I lived in New York and I did a residency through the Textile Arts Center. Mm -hmm. It was a nine month residency that took me through my process in inside a studio rather than out in nature. And inside the studio over these nine months, I created a thesis project and part of that was a tool for me as a forager and natural dyer. I designed a foraging apron with, with big draping pockets and an iPhone <laughs> pocket, iPhone pocket. <laughs> and a field notes pocket and a shears pocket that tied around the neck and wrapped around the body several times. So when I go out into nature and I'm harvesting or gardening, I can throw all of my stuff into these big ridiculous pockets and it became a thing. People just resonated with it and loved it and said, why don't you make this a product? And I'm like, no, it's a conceptual thing and it's only for me and I kept getting requests for it and so I did. I started making them and I refined the design over many, many years and that was my first product offering. So you're solving a problem for yourself. Yeah. Of, I'm going to go out in nature <laughs> and collect things. Where can I put these things? Yes. And have a spot for my phone because I'm yeah. going to take pictures at the same time. Yep. And that was your first product. And that was my first product, which was part of an installation where I was showing this closed loop cycle with these big hanging installation pieces that I had hand dyed on site in the gallery. And there was a big drop cloth on the bottom that caught all of the dye stuff that I then took and used to fashion my foraging apron as a tool um. to go and harvest. I actually just showed this piece for the first time recently in a long time, so that was pretty cool. So through this process, I started realizing, hey, wait a minute, there might be a way for us to design for the end life cycle of a garment too. What if? we could design a garment in a way that was not only better but beneficial for the planet. Mm -hmm. And that's where you find me today. From sustainable to regenerative. Yes. So you asked about you know, where my inspiration comes from my garments. Originally they were more utilitarian mm -hmm. for perhaps work in a garden. So like really sort of like tough like hemp and organic cotton wovens that you could also wear from working on a farm or in a garden into a dinner or a cocktail party, theoretically. And they've sort of 
become more feminine and elegant as the years have gone by and utilitarian so utility and beauty yeah i don't think they have to be separate i think they can be the same i totally agree and the same thing in a garden you can have utility and beauty and we see that right we see that you have food (laughs) growing and it's absolutely lovely which i'm taking pictures of i'll put it on the podcast website Mm -hmm. so everyone can see Kristen's garden if you were to give, say, a two-minute piece of advice to someone who is looking to create a meaningful either business or new hobby, such as the one you created, say they want to get started in making their own plant dyes, mm-hmm. what is your central piece of advice? What does that look like? I would suggest going into nature, wherever that may be for you, and picking up some sort of plant material that you're suspicious about or curious about thinking it might give you color, take it home and smash it on a piece of paper. Keep in mind that you are foraging in a respectful way to Mm -hmm. nature, ideally picking off the ground first or just one piece from various different plants. And just exploring, macerating with your hands or freezing it. If you don't have time to start a dye vat, freezing in some sort of Ziploc baggie over Mm -hmm. time can actually make extracting the color so much easier because for some reason when you thaw it and throw it in water the molecules the frozen molecules explode interesting so is that true of all the plants if you freeze them and then you really good and you thaw them that the colors release more readily I think so, in my experience. Ooh, yeah, That's really interesting. So you can see my wheels turning in my mind. I'm trying to process this. I'm taking it all in, Yeah, and I'm ready to try that. We made a dye using Mexican marigold. Can we take a look at that? Do you Let's think that's look. ready? Yeah, and here it is. And it's a really, really gorgeous marigold yellow. Marigold yellow. It has a little, it's a yellow, it's a deep yellow with a hint of orange mm-hmm. or even a tiny bit of brown and tends to be a little green undertone also green undertone which makes perfect sense because we did use the leaves because it's too. green so you it's were green. right too but <laughs> no but the leaves yielded this beautiful yellow color yes and in fact they yielded a lot of color for the time that it was on the flame because the flame cut out halfway so it was probably only on the fire for 15 minutes and it's already extracted this gorgeous like saturated yellow rich color yeah and what would you make with this you know what i would probably put this on one of my blouses or Mm. one of the children's rompers i want to wear that (laughs) i love this color yellow or yes or one of the california cotton t-shirts would look really gorgeous in this yellow for the summer Mm and happens to be also medicinal. Okay, tell me about that. (laughs) There's a word for this in Ayurveda called Aravastra, which means medicinal garments, which can take us in a whole different direction. But this is something that's sort of bringing me really back around to my origin. Yeah, this is where- connection with medicine and plant color. This is where it comes together. We can create garments that also benefit our well-being with plant color. Is it the color that's resonating or is it something else? Is it So with this particular dye, as we mentioned, the marigold, this particular marigold is an insect repellent. Right. And it retains this smell on a garment. It does. So if you wear it, it can 
potentially repel insects from your body. That is so interesting. <laughs> so I actually recommend that gardeners use marigolds of different kinds as companion plants in the garden. Absolutely. They're fabulous for beneficial insects. They'll bring pollinators to your garden and they will help repel insects such as white flies from tomatoes, for instance. Yes. And you get something beautiful at the same time. Absolutely. And you can take the same plant and create a dye that then goes on your clothing and does the same thing for you. And I think the color, at least for me, I respond very much to color. And so yes. some days I choose certain colors for my mood or just like I might choose music, a certain piece of music in the morning to start my day to set the mood or the tone for the day. I sometimes choose Absolutely. color to set the mood or the tone for the day, almost as an affirmation. Like today is gonna to be that day, I'm gonna be great. And yeah. it's gonna be amazing, I'm gonna feel happy and I'm gonna make my world happen. Absolutely, and color does that for us, it resonates. And this is kind of that vibrates color. vibrates with us, it yellow. sure is. It's sunshine yellow. Yeah. That's it, and you feel it. And you feel it. You feel it. So it truly is full circle. The cradle to cradle concept is starting to reveal itself to me even more. Mm -hmm. Thank you and so much. And we're gonna dump yeah. this back into our garden. There you go, we're gonna give it back. It's regenerative. We're gonna compost it. <laughs> Thank you so much, this has been truly an eye-opener for me because this is something that's so new to me yes. and I think it I think other people will feel the same way that maybe we'll look at plants and our environment or the plants mm -hmm. we're growing in our gardens or the plant growing up between the sidewalk with fresh eyes well I hope so I hope so too thank you so much Emily thank you <laughs> See the photo journey of my day with Kristen, as well as photos of the Mexican marigold dye that we made on the podcast website, growwhatyoulove.love. You can also learn more about Kristen and find links to all species. Plus, be sure to follow her on Instagram at loveallspecies. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up if you like it, and a review would be incredibly helpful. I'd like to start off by thanking my sponsor, the fabulous team at Gilmore Garden and Watering. Again, this episode would not have been possible without their help. And I'm always on the hunt for easy ways to water my outdoor oasis. Gilmore has a great on-off sprinkler that makes it easy to adjust how narrow or wide or long or short of an area you want to water. And there's an on-off switch so you can move it around without getting wet or having to run back to the spigot to turn it off first. Try one out with the promo code GROW20 or GROW20 and save 20% at gilmore.com. I'd like to thank Kristen for sharing her day and her home and garden with me, Sinead Murphy for taking care of baby Sage and Jack while I spoke with Kristen, Kevin Basel for sound engineering, Disher Sound, Resonant Recordings, and Lauren Siri, Julie Harris-Walker, Lost Dracovich, Josh Murphy, Laura Ling, and to all of you. I'm Emily Murphy, and this is Grow What You Love. So Chris, anytime, or Chris, I worked with someone named Chris. <laughs> Kevin, anytime you're ready, we can start rolling. rolling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can we call you Chris? Uh, I'm just yeah. kidding. No. <laughs> it makes it easier for everyone. You know? No. <laughs>